from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, are you, are you feeling safe enough? Because um, there's a missile defense system that we've um, kind of deployed. We're, we're testing it, we're deploying it, we're testing it, we're deploying it. And it's supposed to make you feel safer, you see. It's, quote, simply unable to protect the U.S. public, unquote, and will remain ineffective unless Congress exerts rigorous oversight, according to a new report. This is a report released by the Union of Concerned Scientists. Guys, relax. Don't be so concerned. It recommends that the Obama administration halt the expansion of the ground-based mid-course defense system, the GMD, until its technical problems have been solved. Well, by then, the story of this system is a cautionary tale about how lack of appropriate oversight of a politically charged missile defense program has led to a system in tatters, said the report written by three physicists with expertise in missile defense. Tatters are good, right? Despite more than a decade of development and a bill of $40 billion, the authors write, the GMD system is simply unable to protect the U.S. public. Well, forty. what do you expect for $40 billion? Spend some real money. The GMD system is intended to thwart a limited nuclear strike by North Korea or Iran. And not, not a superpower, just a, just a power. The report notes that in heavily scripted flight tests that are set up for success, like you and me, GMD interceptors have often failed to hit mock enemy warheads. In the seven most recent tests, interceptors destroyed their targets three times. Three out of seven's not in base. This is a finding consistent with conclusions of the Pentagon's tests and evaluation office. Personnel conducting the tests know the speed, location, and trajectory of the target ahead of time, just like you would. No, you wouldn't. The report said members of Congress and Pentagon officials insisted on deploying and expanding the system at a rapid pace at the expense of sound procurement and engineering. Build now, design later. It's It happened in New Orleans with the new flood, oh, I'm sorry, risk reduction system. Quote, repeatedly, according to the report, the Pentagon has sac- sacrificed quality, shortened engineering cycles, and sidestepped acquisitions best practices to meet a deadline imposed by political rationales rather than technical realities. Unquote. Pentagon officials have also made unsubstantiated claims about the system's effectiveness, the report says, calling this both cynical and a disservice to the public. If it was just cynical, it might be a service. Ask for a comment on the report. Agency spokesman Chris Johnson said the National Missile Defense Act of 1999 called for deploying an effective system as soon as technologically possible. He adds, this rapid deployment was a driving factor in delivering a ground-based interceptor capability with reliability challenges. Unquote. That makes it sound almost okay. The agency is trying to make the system more reliable while staying on track to expand the fleet of interceptors. Nothing like trying to make it more reliable while you um, 
add more aircraft that can't find their targets. I feel safer. I don't know about you. Hello, welcome to the show. From, well, near the ocean, the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly. Vickers in Britain who have been sanctioned for sexual abuse 
are apparently and allegedly hiring themselves out to officiate at funerals as freelance clergy, making thousands of dollars or pounds, if you like, in the process. Apparently they, they do like. The Church of England's General Synod in York, that would be Old York, town so, uh, uh, area so nice they named it once, they heard how funeral directors are using the services of vicars who are no longer allowed to minister. Families of the deceased are often not aware that the priest officiating at their funeral may have been suspended due to sexual misconduct. One case in Winchester Winchester involved a funeral director ignoring pleas from the police by ignore, by employing a vicar who was being investigated for sexual abuse abroad. More sexual abuse, vicar? Funeral directors are often pressured to organize a funeral quickly. <laughs> Why would that be? And finding a vicar can be time-consuming. While ordained vicars cannot accept payment for an independently conducted funeral, those conducting two or three a day can earn up to $52,000 a year. That's pretty good if you've been um, fiddling about. The right Reverend Paul Butler, who deals with safeguarding issues around children and vulnerable adults for the Church of England, said the issue would be raised with the Parliamentary Group for Funerals and Bereavements. I I would like to be a fly on the wall, or or maybe just the wall, at at that meeting. News of the godly. And now your brain on the war on drugs. There's a body of research showing that painkiller abuse and overdose are lower in states with medical marijuana laws, you know that the uh, rate of deaths, maybe you don't know, white, working-class, middle-aged people has skyrocketed the rate of deaths, um, mainly due to opioid abuse. But there's this research showing that painkiller abuse and overdose are lower in states with medical marijuana laws. These studies have generally assumed that when medical marijuana is available, pain patients are increasingly choosing pot over prescription narcotics. But that's just been an assumption, according to the Washington Post. Now, a new study released in the journal Health Affairs. I I like all my affairs to be. Validates these findings by providing clear evidence of a missing link in the causal chain running from medical marijuana to failing overdoses. Ashley and David Bradford, a daughter-father pair of researchers at the University of Georgia, about them dogs, scoured the database of all prescription drugs paid for under Medicare Part D from 2010 to 2013. In the 17 states with a medical marijuana law by 2013, Prescription for painkillers and other classes of drugs fell sharply compared with states that did not have a medical marijuana law. The drops were quite significant. In med marijuana states, the average doctor prescribed 265 fewer doses of antidepressants each year, 486 fewer doses doses of seizure medication, 541 fewer anti-nausea doses, and 562 fewer doses of anti-anxiety medication. What do you mean? But most strikingly, the typical physician in a medical marijuana state prescribed 1,826 fewer doses of painkillers in a given year. These conditions are among among those for which medical marijuana is most often approved under state law. 
The Bradfords ran a similar analysis on drug categories that pot typically is not recommended for, blood thinners, antiviral drugs, and antibiotics. On those drugs, they found no changes in prescribing patterns after the passage of medical marijuana laws. Quote, this provides strong evidence that the observed shifts in prescribing patterns were in fact due to the passage of the medical marijuana laws. One interesting wrinkle in the data is glaucoma. It's always an interesting wrinkle, especially if you've got eyes, for which there was a small increase in demand for traditional drugs in medical pot states. It's routinely listed as an approved condition under medical marijuana laws. Medical marijuana, according to studies, does provide some degree of temporary relief for symptoms of glaucoma. The Bradfords hypothesized that the short duration of the relief provided by marijuana, about an hour, may actually stimulate more demand in traditional glaucoma medications. But the tanking numbers for painkiller prescriptions in medical pot states are likely to cause some concern among pharmaceutical companies. They have nutty coincidence here. They have long been at the forefront of opposition to marijuana reform, funding research by anti-pot academics and funding and funneling dollars to groups such as Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America that oppose legalization. Pharmaceutical companies have also lobbied federal agencies directly to prevent the liberalization of marijuana laws. But that's just because they're public-spirited. On the other hand, they are uh, also dabbling, some pharmaceutical companies at least, in uh, genetic modifications of cannabis substances, just in case it's legalized. You know, you'd like to you'd like to stand athwart that market if you can. This is your brain on the war on drugs. By the way, the incredible rise in violence in Mexico over the last decade and a half is uh, usually ascribed to the war on drugs. So how many people has the war on drugs killed? Now, ladies and gentlemen, Canada's pipeline watchdog. Hear him bark. Has given two of North America's largest energy companies up to six months to fix with what industry observers have described as a series of, quote, ticking time bombs, unquote. Those are good. At least they're ticking. You can hear them. The National Energy Board of Canada waited eight months after U.S. regulators raised the alarm about substandard materials, finally issuing a safety order, an emergency order, in February. At least one Canadian pipeline with with defective materials blew up during that period. Newly released Canadian documents show that Texas-based Kinder Morgan and Alberta-based Enbridge are both looking into the use of defective parts purchased from a Thailand-based company that recently went bankrupt. Companies were not immediately able to say where they installed the problematic parts. It's a problem that also struck Alberta-based TransCanada, home of the 
pipeline you've heard of, which had defective materials in its own pipelines, including one that blew up three years ago. The review emerged from an emergency safety order issued in February by Canada's National Energy Board when it launched a crackdown on companies using shoddy parts in their pipelines. Until then, no problem. Shot away. This crackdown followed a series of failures and warnings that date back to at least 2008 when U.S. regulators noticed that the industry was using substandard materials and pipelines that were cracking apart during testing. Engineers who've worked for years on pipelines say that it's they've lost faith in the industry and its watchdogs as major energy companies continue to suffer significant ruptures, ouch, spills, and other disasters. Both the industry and its regulators insist there are no immediate threats. They're keeping an eye on the situation. Critics say sloppy record-keeping, inappropriate conversations, weak oversight, and a race for cheap parts are leaving many dangerous pipelines in the ground. Well, the ground can't hurt you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let us try the motto of the United States Army Corps of Engineers at... Um, in response to many requests, I'm not playing their theme. Let us try. An unprecedented amount of toxic algae are blooming and infesting miles of southern Florida's coastline and waterways. Residents have been left left wondering how the problem started in the first place. According to ABC News, officials believe the root of the algae blooms which have been described as vile-smelling and guacamole-thick, well, guacamole can't hurt you, can be traced to Lake Okeechobee, the nation's second-largest freshwater lake, the largest in Florida. In recent decades, that lake has been loaded with excessive amounts of nitrogen and phosphorus from fertilizing fertilization runoff from farms and urbanization, according to a spokesman for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, John Campbell. Such nutrients, along with other environmental factors such as warmer temperatures, promote the growth of blue-green algae, cyanobacteria. Late last month, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers discharged a high volume of the lake's nutrient-polluted water into local canals to prevent flooding, according to the spokesman John Campbell of the Corps. The nutrients from the released water likely contributed to the putrid algae blooms that have since been proliferating in canals, rivers, and estuaries in four counties across southern Florida. After seeing the algae firsthand, the Corps announced it would start reducing the amount of fresh water flowing from the lake. However, since a number of the algae-infested canals and rivers flow into estuaries and inlets that empty into the ocean, several beaches have also begun experiencing the blooms. But don't blame the Corps, because they're, they're just trying. Let us try. The motto of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking about bees, honeybees particularly, on this broadcast for quite a while. But it's not just bees. And listen, please... Believe me, if any human on the planet hates insects more than me, I'd like to meet that person. I'm not an insect fan. I I spent 
a, a portion of my youth that I'm not proud of, killing as many ants as humanly possible. But now there's this from the Yale Environment blog. Every spring since 1989, entomologists have set up tents in the meadows and woodlands of a nature reserve and 87 areas in the western German state of North Rhine-Westphalia. The tents act as insect traps, enabling the scientists to calculate how many bugs live in an area over a summer. Recently, researchers presented the results of their work to the Bundestag. The findings were, according to Yale, alarming. The average biomass of insects caught between May and October has steadily decreased from 3.5 pounds per trap back in 1989 to just 10 Point six ounces in 2014. The decline is dramatic and depressing, and it affects all kinds of insects, including butterflies, wild bees, and hoverflies, says Martin Sorg, an entomologist involved in running the project. Another recent study has added to this concern. Scientists f- from um, Technical University of Munich and a museum in Frankfurt have determined that in a nature reserve near Regensburg, the number of recorded butterfly and moth species has declined by about 50% from 1840 to 2013. Even official protection status can't really prevent dramatic species lost. Loss, says Thomas Schmidt, one of the scientists involved in the study. Declines in insect populations are hardly limited to Germany. A 2014 study in science documented a steep drop in insect and invertebrate populations worldwide. That doesn't include agents. They actually are vertebrates. By combining data from the few comprehensive studies that exist, an ecologist at Stanford developed a global index for invertebrate abundance that showed a 45% decline over the past four decades. These are the least well-evaluated faunal groups but the available information suggests a dire situation in many parts of the world, says the lead scientist. Scientists have described one million species of insects so far. They estimate at least four million are still unrecorded. Many insect populations worldwide are in severe decline, according to the Zoological Study of London, which did a study in 2012. That limits food supplies for birds and larger animals and affects ecosystem services like pollination. The insect custodian at the Berlin Natural History Museum says he's worried the decline in insect populations is gradual and there's a risk we will only really take notice once it's too late. Many factors are cited for the reasons. Chief among them, the ubiquitous use of pesticides, the spread of monoculture crops, such as corn and soybeans, urbanization, and habitat destruction. A significant drop in insect populations could have far-reaching populations, uh, sorry, could have far-reaching consequences for the natural world and for humans, excuse me, we're part of the natural world, who depend on bees and other invertebrates to pollinate crops. So far, only the decline of honeybee populations has received widespread public attention because of their role in pollination. But scientists emphasize the ecological importance of diverse and abundant insect populations. Over three-quarters of wild flowering plant species in temperate regions need pollination by insects to develop their fruits and seeds fully, 
according to an alliance of British environmental research institutions. They emphasize pollinating insects improve or stabilize the yield of three-quarters of all crop types around the world, one-third of global crops by volume. Volume? All right, I'll talk louder. In parts of Europe, U.S. and South America, monocultures, that is to say growing one crop over and over and over and over and over again, cover vast areas of the landscape, creating biological deserts devoid of hedges or ponds where insects could reproduce. Don't don't they have insect uh, porn on, on the Internet yet? Of particular concern is the widespread use of pesticides and their impact on species which aren't the target of the user's of the insecticides. There's a, there are many indications that what we see is the result of a widespread poisoning of our landscape, says the Director General of the German chapter of BirdLife International. Scientists are now urging increased monitoring efforts. And, on a related subject, Donald Trump, who, as you know, announced his... Uh, running mate choice this weekend, although it took a while for him to get over himself to announce it. Um, And he has been accused, perhaps accurately, of um, holding contradictory positions over time on a number of different policy areas. That is to say, saying he felt one way when he At one point in time, he felt another way about the same issue. But there's one issue, apparently, judging by uh, appearance last week in Cincinnati, and apropos of insects, where Donald Trump stands firm. I don't like mosquitoes! I don't like mosquitoes! I don't want mosquitoes around me. I don't like mosquitoes. I don't like mosquitoes. I don't like those mosquitoes. I never did. Okay. 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 I never did. I don't want mosquitoes around me. I don't want mosquitoes around me. I don't want mosquitoes around me. I don't like mosquitoes! Ooh, there was a mosquito. I don't like mosquitoes! Mosquitoes! I don't want mosquitoes around me. I don't like mosquitoes! Ooh. Everything's alright. 
sidewalk A little music from the house next door So I walked up into the doorstep Through the screen and right across that floor Summer breeze makes me feel fine Going through the jasmine in my mind From the home of the homeless, from the edge of America, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Eversall Jr. Well, we know that it costs a lot of money to put on the Olympics. It also puts uh, costs a lot of money to lose the right to put on the Olympics. According to the Chicago Tribune, mounting Chicago's bid was an expensive but privately funded endeavor. Nearly $76 million was raised from donors who also kicked in $16 million worth of goods and services, but it left a pricey legacy for taxpayers. City of Chicago is on the hook for about $140 million in principal and interest on the purchase of property for an Olympic village to house athletes, which, of course, was never built. And it was saddled with costly 10-year union contracts that were hammered out to ensure labor peace during the Games, which never happened. A report by the city's inspector general in the waning days of the Richard Daly administration found 34 union agreements unduly hamstrung not only the current management of city government, but the next six years as well, 
Deals were made in 2007, shortly before the economy went, <laughs> and the public realized the depth of the own of the city's own financial woes. The restrictive deal prompted the inspector general to recommend the city pass an ordinance limiting labor deals to no more than four years. The city council has ignored that suggestion. But eager to lock in property for an athlete's village, the administration agreed in 2008 to, to pay nearly $2 million per acre for a former hospital site, even as the economy and housing market were tanking. The city planned to resell the parcel to a developer who would build apartments for Olympians then convert the housing into a mixed-income residential community after the Games. That would be this year. The city had five years from the time the deal closed in 2009 to resell the land before any payments came due. Today, the tract remains vacant and in city hands. This inherited deal was a bad one for taxpayers, says Peter Stratzabosko, the Deputy Commissioner of Planning and Development. So far, a solution has been elusive, and the meter is ticking. Unless the city can pay off the loan in advance, it ultimately will pay nearly $50 million in interest on a $91 million purchase. This is analogous to using credit cards to pay off a credit card, said a bond expert. No workable redevelopment plan has surfaced. Olympic chiefs will look at the number of top golfers not playing at Rio this summer when deciding if the sport should be at future games. Sorry, it's golf. The world's top four among the more than 20 to have withdrawn. IOC President Thomas Bach said this would be considered when the lineup for Tokyo 2020 is decided next year. One of the main categories is the question of participation by the best players, he said. Golf beat out squash. The sport, not the vegetable. And Dateline Rio, many top foreign leaders have been slow to commit to attending the opening ceremony of the Rio Olympics amid Brazil's political turmoil. And the Zika thing, top politicians who do show up could face a diplomatic quandary because the president has been suspended and faces an impeachment trial. If you're a top world leader, whose hand would you shake in the middle of such uncertainty? Asked a professor of international law at the University of Sao Paulo. It's a bizarre situation. The best that foreign leaders can do is send a letter and stay home to avoid any embarrassment anyway. It won't be a party in Brazil anyway. Look at the mess, she says. The Olympics. It's a movement, and we all need one. Every day! And now, ladies and gentlemen, what's going on? with the new Iraq, you know, the one that we kind of um, helped, we midwifed it, really. Uh, you probably know, I mentioned it on last week's broadcast, there was a suicide bombing in Baghdad last weekend that left 250 people dead. It was IS's deadliest ever attack against civilians. It raised questions about the Iraqi government's security measures, according to The Atlantic, particularly its widespread use of bomb detectors that don't work. We uh, shared this story with you about the fake bomb detectors. On this broadcast, oh, years ago, they are actually repurposed golf ball detectors that were found to be fake in a, a previous decade. The troops who use them know they're useless, but as one officer put it to the Atlantic, quote, I don't have any other choice. Well, now you do. In the wake of the um, terrorist attack, 
Iraq's Prime Minister al-Abadi has instructed all the country's security forces to stop using the fake bomb detectors. The Independent in London reports al-Abadi also ordered an investigation at the Ministry of the Interior into corrupt deals to buy the fake detectors. According to Homeland Defense Newswire, a British businessman, James McCormick, purchased thousands of novelty golf ball finders for 19.95 each, repackaged them, and then sold them to Iraq and other nations as advanced handheld bomb detectors at $40,000 apiece. Three years ago, he was sentenced to 10 years in jail for endangering lives for obscene profits, <laughs> it is Britain, and ordered to pay millions in restitution. McCormick, a former policeman, made $75 million from the Iraqi government alone, which bought nearly 2,000 of the golf ball finders. Despite vociferous U.S. objections, the Iraqi government of Nuri al-Maliki used millions of dollars in U.S. military aid to purchase thousands of the fake bomb detectors. The Iraqi government and Iraq security services refused to be persuaded by scientific analysis and demonstrations which proved the detectors to be a hoax. Alabani has now ordered the replacement of the fake detectors with X-ray systems. The Iraqi government has also asked the U.S. for surveillance drones. Are they fake yet? The Chilcot report, which came out in Britain last week and was quickly forgotten because there were uh, disputes among British politicians and egos always trump anything else. And uh, over here, you know, it's the past. Anyway, it reveals the U.K. has disclaimed any duty to decontaminate the toxic radioactive ash left behind by its depleted uranium munitions or even to monitor the impacts on on human health. This from The Ecologist magazine. Iraq and other countries are working towards a U.N. resolution that would hold contaminating governments like the U.K. and the U.S. legally accountable for depleted uranium pollution. In the Chilcot report was a previously classified Ministry of Defense paper setting out the U.K. government's thinking on the munitions. In it, the clearance of unexploded ordnance, that's the danger of DU, is considered, and the Ministry of Defense argues that it has no long-term legal responsibility to clean up DU from Iraq. It proposes that surface-lying fragments of DU only be removed on an opportunity basis, that is to say, if they come across them in the course of Doing something else, like getting a burger. In other words, the U.K. stance is that chemically toxic and radioactive DU DU ash from spent munitions is strictly the problem of the country in which the munitions were used, Iraq, and the U.K., which fired the shells, has no formal responsibility for cleaning up the mess. Unlike landmines and cluster munitions, there is no treaty to ensure that affected countries receive international assistance or are themselves obligated to protect their own people nor is anyone required to record the impact of the weapons on individuals and communities. Vehicles contaminated by depleted uranium, tanks, armored personnel carriers, pose a particular risk to civilians, both to workers in the scrap metal industry and to children who play on them. Hands off. Attention is increasingly being focused on the lack of obligation on nations that use DU weapons to clean up the mess they contaminate. These same same governments are often extremely conscious of the financial and technical burden of clearance 
as they have domestic firing ranges that are contaminated. Earlier this year, the U.S. Army lost a long-running battle with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission over legacy DU contamination at 15 sites in the U.S. Also clarified by the Chilcot Report, this official independent kind of report on the causes and aftermath of the decision to invade Iraq. Something clarified, which may be of interest to people on both sides of the pond, the governments, the Blair government, the Bush government, when uh, it was discovered there weren't weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, blamed faulty intelligence. And yet, in the United States, Britain, and Australia, high-ranking intelligence officials in the non-proliferation area said before the war publicly that what was being told to the public did not reflect the intelligence they were seeing. So a, a glimmer of information as to how to put these two facts together. According to the Financial Times, the Chilcot Report criticized the way the British version of the CIA, MI6, headed by Sir Richard Dearlove, handled its responsibilities. The Secret Intelligence Service, which is its other name, had a responsibility to ensure that ministers were informed in a timely way when doubts arose about key sources and when subsequently intelligence was withdrawn, unquote, and they didn't do that. In the United States, as you may remember, there was a separate vector for raw intelligence, the Office of Special Plans in the Pentagon, run by Douglas Fife. It was a Fife-based operation whose sole purpose was to gather raw information outside the analytical eyes of the CIA and pass it straight upstairs to where the guys wanted to know that there was intelligence, intelligence that supported their policies. The new Iraq, ladies and gentlemen, a trillion-dollar bargain.
Now, the apologies of the week. Playmate Danny Mathers. The 2015 Playboy Playmate of the Year. They still have those? Really? Why didn't I... Was suspended from her regular radio show gig on the Heidi and Frank show in KLOS in Los Angeles and banned from all L.A. fitness facilities after she posted a body-shaming photo of a fellow gym-goer. L.A. Fitness confirmed to TMZ Mathers is not permitted back at any club ever. Mathers faced a slew of criticism after she sent Snapchat a picture of a woman out to the masses along with the caption, If I can't unsee this, then you can't either. The blonde model additionally uploaded an image where she was coyly laughing at the woman. She's also under criminal investigation by the L.A. Police Department after L.A. Fitness alerted police to the incident of disseminating private images. The identity of the woman photographed is still unknown. A spokesperson for the gym bashed Mather's behavior. It's appalling. The 29-year-old later apologized, said she did not understand how to use Snapchat and meant to send it to one individual, not to everybody on the planet. There is no excuse, she wrote. On her now-deleted Twitter, Twitter account, I understand fully the magnitude of this post that I have heard a lot of people. Body shaming is not okay and not something to joke about, she said. She even created an apology video where she stressed how her career with Playboy is all about loving the female body. But it was too late. She expressed in her apology video, I need to take some time to ref- myself now to reflect on why I did this horrible thing. Also, I gotta buy a new swimsuit for Playboy. The German government has offered to apologize but declined to pay reparations for the killing of thousands of Namibians by its colonial army during an uprising between 1904 and 1907. The killings have been described by as a genocide by global human The Germans? Global human rights organizations. The German government consistently refers to them as Historical events. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as you know, expressed regret over her ill-advised comments about Donald Trump, igniting a firestorm. In recent on-the-record interviews, Ginsburg called Trump a faker who lacks consistency, criticized him for not releasing his tax reform returns, described a Trump presidency as unimaginable, and suggested that she'll move to New Zealand if he wins. On reflection, my recent remarks in response to press inquiries were ill-advised, and I regret making them, Ginsburg said. Judges should avoid commenting on a candidate for public office, and in the future I will be more circumspect. The justice apology comes after the editorial boards of the Washington Post and the New York Times, among others, rebuked her in editorials. Apparently she... I don't know how much it costs to live in New Zealand. Dateline Cedro Woolley Washington. Lucky's Teriyaki is apologizing on offering free meals to law enforcement officers after word spread that the restaurant in Washington State didn't want law enforcement to dine there. The owner's son apologized and law enforcement members will get free meals Monday at the uh, restaurant about 70 miles north of Seattle. Skagit County Sheriff Will Reichardt says four deputies finished lunch at Lucky's Teriyaki and were told not to eat there anymore that customers didn't like law enforcement. Owner's son says it was a misunderstanding. For the last decade or so, Brandon Espinosa has played the bad guy in uh, the wrestling ring. He's the heel, a villainous character, 
essential to the scripted melodrama. What? Wrestling? Scripted? Last week, Espinosa's character ta- antics tangled closely with current events. He's offered an apology during a match at South Broadway Athletic Club. He mocked his opponent, Mike Outlaw, who's black, by shouting, Black lives don't matter. The exchange was scripted. Script. Both wrestlers say that, but neither predicted the backlash. Someone in the audience captured Espinosa's taunt on video. The clip is published on a wrestling site which lambasted or lambasted Espinosa for setting wrestling back 40 years. That would be, what, right before Andy Kaufman made it popular? In response to the post, Espinosa apologized. My character is a guy who gets under the skin of people. I do whatever I need for a reaction. I don't mean any harm. I don't hate anyone because of their race. My kids are black. Do I think black lives don't matter? No, they do. He acknowledges that deploying a gimmick based, a gimmick based, based on Black Lives Matter protests was both in poor taste and badly timed. His opponent, Mike Outlaw, also admits that it wasn't the smartest decision on either of us. It was Espinosa playing a character, a bad guy, to get a rise out of the audience. I want to sincerely apologize on my behalf. <laughs> he apologizes on his own behalf, ladies and gentlemen, because he is a character to anyone who is offended by the angle, unquote. That's what it was. It was an angle. Dateline New York Atlanta rapper Rich Homie Kwan apologized this week for flubbing the words to the late notorious B.I.G. classic, classic Get Money, during VH1's Hip Hop Honors. I assure you, I never intended to disrespect the memory of Biggie Smalls, he said. No relation to uh, Derek. I've long respected his work and his contribution to the rap game. There's another game. I greatly apologize not only to Biggie Smalls, but also all of my fans, Biggie Smalls fans, and to New York. New York got offended, ladies and gentlemen. New York... Work on your feelings. Uh, Canada's Wonderland is a um, amusement park where you can surge in a train car at highway speed down a near vertical incline, swoop on our gargantuan swing, or hug your partner if you're gay. No, not the latter. Barrett Morrison and Brandon Hamilton went to the amusement park outside Toronto to mark the annual Gay Day at Wonderland. Waiting in line for the Lazy River, not the Lazy Bear River. Morrison said he and his partner hugged. They were approached by a Wonderland worker who told them there was a complaint. Said we should check our behavior because it's a family park. The park's general manager has since apologized to the couple and has reiterated the importance of the incident to employees several times, according to a spokesperson Solalindo. The staffer in question has not been disciplined because they haven't been able to figure out who it was. All we were doing was hugging, said Morrison. It's not like we had our hands down each other's pants. The magic that's supposed to happen at Canada's Wonderland <laughs> was lost to us. It didn't exactly ruin the day, but it put dark taint on it. Dark taint on the magic, ladies and gentlemen. A guest column published in the Kansas City Stars prompted a reaction. The column explored the understandably sensitive issue of rape. In hindsight, says the editor, it should never have been published. As the publisher of the Star, I take responsibility for what shows up in our editorials. I apologize that the column was published and assure you we're putting even more measures in place to assure this doesn't happen in the future. More measures. A high-ranking official from the ed- Education Ministry in South Korea made a tearful apology this week amid growing controversy over his remarks that described the public as nothing but dogs and pigs. 
He apologized for making inappropriate remarks as a public service, distressing Korean people and causing a stir. Maybe he meant it as a compliment. Bianca Jagger, a human rights activist and ex-wife of Mick Jagger, apologized for tweeting a link to a neo-Nazi website, later saying she was mortified. She tweeted the link, which includes a list of British lawmakers who voted for the Iraq War, to her 54,000 followers. The list was on the Metapedia website, which was founded by a Swedish neo-Nazi. It uh, includes a note section in which each lawmaker is identified by descriptions such as Jewish, connected to labor friends of Israel, married to Jew, openly homosexual, Negro, or Negress. Members of the tenors quickly distanced themselves from a rogue tenor on Tuesday night after a member of the classical pop group inserted a political statement into the lyrics of O Canada before the Major League Baseball All-Star Game in San Diego. The statements that they're deeply sorry and shocked and embarrassed over what they termed the disrespectful and misguided lack of judgment by one member of the group. You might not have known about this because only Canadian television carried coverage of the singing of the Canadian anthem. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at this same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The U.S. 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.490 megahertz shortwave, megahertz, on the mighty 104 in Berlin on Soho Radio in London. Around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live or archive, whenever you want it, harryshearer.com and kcsn.org, available for your smartphone through stitcher.com, and available as a free podcast. They're big! At Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, and www.org. And it'll be just like getting some bomb detectors that work. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show. Chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exxon Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, join the conversation. And a playlist of the music heard here on, along with your opportunity to buy Cars I Talk t-shirts, that's kind of a commercial conversation. That's all available at harryshare.com. And I'm available for more conversation at the Harry Shearer on Twitter.
The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless. <laughs>